In this episode today, I chat with Dr. Louise Metcalf from George. And it's been over 12 months since I last spoke to Louise on the podcast. And it's so inspiring to hear how they've expanded to help even more kids deal with mental health issues like anxiety across the world. Now even more into different communities of need around Australia and overseas, across the US, and looking to break into other parts of the world and cultures in Australia as well, too, through different languages. So in this episode today, Louise and I speak about cybersecurity, ethics and artificial intelligence, regulation and digital therapeutics. So all those fun and pertinent topics right now, but also this really concerning rising mental health issues with kids and the role that technology might play to assist. We cover a lot of other ground too. So let's just get stuck into it, shall we? Collaboration starts with a conversation, Team Health Tech. Well, let's make it happen. This is Talking Health Tech with me, Peter Birch featuring content and community about technology in healthcare. Hey, Louise, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Even though it's very rainy here in Sydney and all all over New South Wales. It is, isn't it? It's everywhere, everywhere. Look, it's so great to have you on the show today. We've done a little bit on the podcast before. Back in episode 152, it was. So... Over 12 months ago, back in July, you and I had a chat on the show and people can go back there and learn a bit more about George and yourself and your story. But you've been on the podcast a couple of times before and done a few summits. How are things tracking since we last caught up? Yeah, really well, really well. So George is absolutely pumping along. He's very, very busy. He's actually extremely busy in the US right now. So three times more US users than we have Australian users. And that happened so fast. That happened in weeks. So that was crazy. (laughs) So, yeah, so he's absolutely very, very busy. We've also got this great innovation grant from Western Australia to translate him into Chinese, so Mandarin or simple Chinese, and Italian and an Aboriginal language, which is quite a common language in Western Australia called Naga. So we are doing that at the moment. Uh, We're nearly finished the translations. It's so exciting. And we also got, in the same grant, you know, money to integrate him into the psych system over there. So we're doing that at the same time. And it's great. He's absolutely pumping along. We're hearing all the stories from Western Australia around children's mental health, which are very grounding very grounding and have very strong links to a school refusal. So school refusal is very big across Australia right now, but we're getting those stories primarily out of Western Australia at the moment because that's where we're doing most of our research at the moment. And it's absolutely huge. It's just huge. You hear stories of like kids who, you know, they were labelled the naughty kid, you know, and then it's later, much later, years later, they get their anxiety diagnosis. But They've been taken out of school before that because they were the naughty kid and parents suspected they had anxiety. Yeah, so it's pretty messy and pretty sad. Kids are really missing out. I know I mentioned that people can go back and learn more about George and the backstory and everything, but for people who are just jumping in now, you know, we're talking about anxiety, particularly in children and the little robot that's helping kids with that, right? Yeah, that's right. So George is just a cute little robot. He's co-created with over a thousand kids in Australia now, including kids in Western Australia. And we're working on kids that speak Naga. We're still working on how to do that with them, but we're determined. And yeah, he's just very cute. There's lots of cute stories in him. He helps kids to understand how to manage challenging feelings, 
that they do go, you know, they can uh, sort of an acceptance commitment therapy technique to recognise that they do go, they do come and go. And there's a sort of CBT stories in there to help them understand how to understand those thoughts and feelings and how to manage them. And it's all done through cute little characters, cute little robot characters, which of course makes George completely, you know, malleable by kids. They can change him into pretty much anything that really helps them with you know cultural translations so yeah it's fun he's really cute and he's boy he's working hard (laughs) (laughs) now that's interesting and and a virtual robot as well for those that are picturing a clunky mechanical robot so yes that's cool i love that you know it's such a universal issue and one that impacts so many different cultures so the fact like you're now leaning into other languages and other countries to be able to help even more people that must be really rewarding and fulfilling and exciting for you as well oh yeah so we have a partnership with the salvos uh, across australia to help george get out to kids who really need him and we were speaking to them about the translations and they were able to recognize you know how strong the the communities in Western Australia that speak simple Chinese and Mandarin. So they're really excited about that. But, you know, that's obviously a very great language to have for international distribution. And um, look, we had kids in Myanmar, war-torn Myanmar, accessing George before he was available internationally. So, you know, we have kids in Ukraine now, you know, we have kids all around the world who can get, you know, a relief for their mental health symptoms by talking to George in situations where they may not even be able to access a hospital. So it's just so good to see that, you know, they can get some version of relief. Technically, his first aid mental health, so he's not... No, he's not terribly up the scale in terms of the amount of therapy in him or the type of therapy, but it's enough to give kids relief and understanding. And it's so good to see that happening in these really challenging times in really challenging places. That's good. Yeah, no, that's so good. And it reminds me because recently you were on a panel at our Talking Health Tech Winter Summit this year, speaking about digital therapeutics. And we had a panel that you know spanned the country and covered a good range of topics, particularly about digital therapeutics and their role and the future. Yeah. What are some of the things that you took away from that particular session? Oh, yeah, that was really fun. What amazing humans on the panel. But one thing I really noticed was that controversy around, you know, do you bother with regulatory processes and getting on the TGA and the FDA or is that just too much hassle and do we just get the therapies out there, right? Look, it's a really good question. There is a lot of need, as we are just talking about there, right? But when you're talking about more advanced therapies, as I said in the panel session, I'm definitely on the regulatory side. And I think for what we do, I think that's actually, you know, a really, really good plan. But, you know, some of the people on the panel were delivering, you know, mental health type interventions and um, and they were not so keen. So it was a, such a good discussion and I think really worthwhile following up. You know, there was that example that was raised, I think I'm probably going to butcher the example, but you know, digital therapeutics. So an app that's helping somebody deal with a particular health issue. I think the example that was brought up was if a patient who has tinnitus, for example, so, you know, constant ringing in their ears, if they were to purchase a fan, like just a regular fan to use while they sleep to kind of, you know, create some noise, then that fan wouldn't need to be registered like a regulated device because it's just this 
handy tool for them. Whereas if it was within an app that made white noise, then that tool would potentially need to be regulated. So I can see a point on both sides, but we, we start yeah. to go down an interesting path there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think maybe it comes down to the promise. Like, you know, if you buy a fan, you don't expect it to do much aside from make that white noise. So I think it comes down to the promise. If you're buying something that promises to kind of, you know, really, really help you with, you know, tinnitus, then, you know, maybe that's a bit different to buying a fan and maybe that's better to kind of think of that it might be useful to go through a regulatory process. The other thing is, is that, you know, small engine noise, like from a fan versus, you know, there's kinds of sounds that mobile phones, for example, can produce might be different. There might be something in that. So I think it's still worthwhile thinking it through, even when you have, yeah, simple interventions like this. And I really think it does come down to that promise, but also the risks involved, right? You've got to think through those risks and they might be non-existent. It could be someone listening to the podcast right now who kind of goes, come on, mobile phones can't, you know, make that kind of noise. And I would, you know, totally take that. But I think it's worthwhile thinking through that risk and just, you know, making sure you've kind of nailed it as much as you can. Yeah. And yes, a building on that as well, thinking about other innovations within healthcare, like digital therapeutics, artificial intelligence plays a really big role in helping people with innovative solutions. But we've seen recently in other parts of the world, how potentially these tools can be used to drive more commercial gains rather than patient outcomes. So yeah, that's a tricky area to navigate. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, that example of cerebral, right? Cerebral are really, you know, have been discovered recently as kind of being those bad actors. They basically found an opportunity to make a lot of money through over-prescribing, particularly for ADHD stimulants. And they're on record for, you know, having a goal of reaching 100% prescribing, you know, to all their clients who have ADHD, their goal was to prescribe every single one of them stimulants, right, which is pretty irresponsible. It's just about making money. And they did that for quite some period of time. I'm not exactly sure how long, but it's something like 18 months or something like that, which is definitely affecting people's health. You know, we shouldn't be prescribing stimulants to everybody because there are physical effects of stimulants that can be quite bad for you if you have certain conditions and genetic predispositions. So they really kind of stepped over a line there and they did it for profit. You know, there can be no doubt they did it for profit. They didn't think they were doing, you know, something good for people. They did it for profit. And I think it's important to kind of recognise that there are those bad actors out there and there are people who are involved in Cerebral, if, if you look, who are quite well-known investors. Did they know? Did they know that this was the goal plan for Cerebral? Maybe not. Maybe they just didn't realise how these things operate. And the more I get around, the more I think that's much more common, that there is a lack of knowledge on how these things operate and a lot of assumptions that, you know, people will operate, you know, without that profit motive as, you know, being a priority in health, even though if you've got investors who push in that direction, it's of course going to be a priority. So yeah, Cerebral is a great case. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it, too, because there's other popular examples like the whole Theranos story where, or generally in any kind of health setting where it might have started with really good intentions and, you know, yeah. based in good medicine, good science or good technology. 
But then to build that thing, you need to raise funds and you do whatever you can and make whatever promises you can to get those funds. But then those expectations need to be met. And if that means trying to reduce timelines before something's ready and cutting corners, and then all of a sudden you find yourself, you're a bad actor when you didn't really intend to be there in the first place. So yeah, I think that understanding point is really important because that pressure from investors who you know have expectations coming in can really drive the direction of the organization. Yeah, they can and not realise the risks that they are making, you know. In mental health, if you actually sort of trawl through, which, you know, there's a few now, if you trawl through all the mental health apps out there for adults as well as for kids, what's really clear is there's very, very few that have been built in a way that is very conscious of the risks of these types of therapies. And in effect, for adults, there's really only one that's been built particularly well in this way, and that's Wobot. So if you think about it, around the world, they've had about $9 million worth of funding so far, and uh, that's really the amount of money that's been put into great mental health tech. So it's actually very small. There's a lot of money put into, you know, just get it out there as fast as you can, you know, kind of really mindfulness solutions. But when you start to get more sophisticated, you see, you know, obviously less funding. And then you start to see some really interesting stuff. Like there's a chatbot released into Facebook Messenger uh, not very long ago. And it was definitely released way too early or possibly not in consultation with people that actually know much about mental health because it was quite poor. It was giving quite bad advice. And eventually it was pulled. So I'll just like skip the name of that one because I don't want to shame people. But um, that's a good example of kind of like, you know, it's just not built well. It's not built with that consideration of, you know, how these technologies work alongside the knowledge of how the brain works and mental health. Yeah. If you've been kicking around this industry a bit like me, or maybe even you're brand new to digital health, you've probably worked out that health tech is not an individual sport. Whatever you're trying to achieve, whether you're delivering healthcare for patients or you're building health technology, or perhaps you're helping deploy solutions across health systems, you need a tribe, a community of like-minded individuals who just get it that if we're going to transform healthcare, then technology is going to play a huge part in it. So to learn and connect about health tech and level up your game, consider joining our THT Plus membership community. We've got options for every stage of growth, whether you're a solo individual or a startup or scale-up company. As an individual, you get access to our exclusive community forum, you get a warm intro to two other members from me each month, you get free access to our quarterly virtual summits and a bunch of other exclusive goodies. Companies can bring team members into the community, plus you get a presence on our website as a THT Plus member, you can post content like news events and jobs, and of course, we love to showcase our members. So when you join as a company THT Plus member, you'll get to appear on this podcast with your very own episode. This podcast is made possible through the support of our members. It's literally the heart of everything we do. So consider joining as a THT Plus member. You can join anytime online. Just go to talkinghealthtech.com slash THT Plus. As you're going through and you know growing George, and supporting more and more patients and doing great things, keeping all these things in mind about ensuring you're, you're doing things appropriately and you're keeping the patient front of mind. What does that you know, actually look like? Is it that we need more 
time for research. We need people who are really good at doing stuff with AI to build even clever tools. Like what are the things we need within this space, particularly when it comes to mental health tech, to be able to build more robust tools to support patients in a good way? Yeah, you definitely need to collaborate. Most of what, you know, you could build purely on your own doesn't have sufficient data. Even if you're, you've are you got a, a lot of data, like take Amazon's Alexa, for instance, huge amounts of data, but, you know, they don't have very much around children's voices. They don't have a lot of integration for people that have a disability. So, you know, the database requires development, even at their stage. So you can think of a, you know, a really early startup where they definitely need, you know, collaboration. There are some great AI and machine learning experts in Australia. We have one who's an advisor to us, professor in the field, Lawrence Cavendon at RMIT. Awesome, awesome guy, very brilliant. And he's great at kind of, you know, pulling together how do we get this data, you know, how do we get it. But it is very expensive. It isn't something that is generally... (laughs) in the budget of a, an early startup. So we, we really require, you know, grants in order to do that. And I think that's an interesting challenge. You know, if you've got something that is a solution that does work and it's at the moment, George is in, you know, first aid stage, we do that very deliberately. You know, we, we have an advanced build for George. We have a step therapy build for George, but they're on hold because we won't release them until we have the backing, you know, to actually manage them. You can't just throw these things out there and, you know, sort of hope for the best. You need to monitor them. You need to manage them. They do need to be researched. They need to be tested. They need to be, you know, approved by the TGA here, obviously the FDA in the US. So we do need to take that much bigger pathway. And then, yeah, that takes money, which makes it hard. But the most important thing is experts that can tell you, you know, you can do this with what you've got. This is too far. You know, this is where you're starting to get some real risks or, you know, you know that you can't work with people with this particular disability or this particular mental health condition. So great experts that can tell you that. But really importantly, listen to them, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's one thing to have them on tap, but actually listening to them. I'm thinking as you're talking through, that's really exciting about, you know, I guess moving further down the tree or up the tree in terms of the level of support that George can one day provide to patients. How do you ensure that that feedback loop is looked after appropriately? Like, so for example, if George, the robot as an app is providing some insights or there's an engagement going on, what's the patient doing on the other end so that you can then monitor and ensure things are going appropriately and then you can continue to tweak and build as you go? Yeah, so that's the advanced side. We do monitor for the first aid level, but obviously first aid is first aid. You know, it's great tools, tools that kids can use, and he connects kids back into their social network. So there's a lovely little feedback loop right there within the family, which is, you know, very little safety net for kids. But, you know, we do look at the data. We're always monitoring how kids going, what are they saying, you know, bullying comes up a lot. We're always looking at how do we actually upskill parents around these key topics so that they have the tools that they need to help their kid through. There's a lot of monitoring on that side for George at the first aid level. But George at the advanced level will do that in a much more sophisticated manner. So we use obviously a lot of manpower or rather woman power at the moment. (laughs) 
which as it gets bigger is, you know, trickier. We have thousands of kids and families on George right now. So as that gets bigger, that's going to get a lot harder. But we will never, ever be the kind of technology that just kind of steps away from the, for want of a better word, algorithm and kind of goes, oh, well, good luck. George is always going to be monitored by sites. So, <laughs> but, you know, we've seen that. People do that. It's true. Yeah. Hey, something that's quite topical and front of mind for a lot of people, it it always is, but whenever there are issues around cybersecurity in particular, then people certainly do pay attention. You're dealing with mental health information for children and families. So in terms of sensitive information, like you're, you're right, you're right in there in terms of really important information that, you know, needs to have good custodians that I'm sure is always front of mind for the work that you guys do. Yeah, yeah, we're obsessed, absolutely obsessed with privacy and confidentiality and cybersecurity. We are literally a bit of a Fort Knox. I was thinking about what happened over at, uh, you know, that major telecom. <laughs> yeah, you know, the one. I've said it before, it's fine, it's Optus. It's, I've mentioned the name. Optus, so. yeah. Oh, good, good. Yeah, and I was thinking, gosh, that would just never happen for us because we, we don't have systems that kind of meet that way. You'd see it, we sort of have gates everywhere. It's really very carefully done, you know. We, we're very conscious of these things. We also, like, you don't even have to use your real name in George. <laughs> perfectly fine you know so you can even do that kind of stuff even when it becomes more sophisticated we're already thinking about how do we you know use more sophisticated diagnostics like for example tone of voice right tone of voice has there's lots of great science now that tone of voice can help you determine how you're going in terms of your mental health there's a few other things thrown in but tone of voice is one of them right and how do we record that without actually you know actually recording your voice how do we get that done without actually recording your voice so we're already thinking about that we already have some great plans around that so we basically take the road as if we can get away with not you know taking in something that can identify you then that's where we want to be. So we don't record, you know, what's a basic thing that records that apps record these days? Like location. I keep getting asked, do I want to show my location in apps at the moment? Yeah, we don't do that, right? So <laughs> it's a good example. We really just want to help people with mental health conditions. We don't want to know everything about you down to the colour of your underwear because, you know, we don't want to we don't want to do other stuff. We don't want to you know, advertise to you or anything like that. So we don't need to. And that's yeah. one of the key principles of protecting people. If you don't need it, don't get it. So important, yeah. Yeah, so, so right, yeah. But we also have all these, like, other stuff in the background. We're just super duper conscious of it. It's really, like, Fort Knox, George. <laughs> No, that's good. That's so true, isn't it? Like it can be if you were, you know, an earlier stage startup thinking about the information that you can potentially capture. And it's like, it would seem good practice then if, you know, from a marketing or a commercial point of view, if you took your clinical hat off for a second, it's like, well, sure. Like if we can capture additional information, who knows, we might need that information later, but every extra bit of information that you're capturing, it's additional risk from your side in terms of what you're holding. And you know, from a clinical side, in theory, like it's not the less you have, the better. It's just the information that you need, exactly as you said. I think that should be the driving principle. Yeah, I would say this philosophy that parents should be in control of the family data. So in that sort of connection to psychs that we're doing at the moment, there's a lot of like, how do we give, a lot of things we're discussing is how do we put that control of information transfer to the psych in the parents' hands? Like, do we, can they just, you know, tick exactly what they want to send? So we're always talking about 
know, is absolutely obsessed with how do we protect people's data, even as a very small startup. Like, but there's a lot of things that, you know, you could do with fancy, <laughs> fancy cybersecurity. Maybe that's not such a great thing, though. Maybe that's the downside of some of these, you know, scandals. They went fancy and forgot the simple stuff. Mm, bring it back to basics. Hey, thinking about then the broader health ecosystem and obviously yourself, an active THT Plus member connecting with other people within the talking health tech community. How have you found, you know, on this journey, like the importance that you place on getting support from others that are maybe taking a similar path or perhaps operating in healthcare and might be doing adjacent or similar things? Oh, yeah, yeah, huge, huge. Like I have lots of like buddies in the space that we kind of, you know, cross-reference and like in one instance we share some expertise. So we share some folks that have some expertise that works well for the two areas because they're both health tech. And, yeah, so always, right? And THT has been so fun. I've met the most awesome people and they're very, you know, committed to supporting great, you know, health tech in Australia. So, and some of them are so experienced too. They've been doing it for like just much longer than me. I was going to swear there. And uh, <laughs> and that's just awesome, right? They're great to connect to because they can have a chat because they've seen it. They've seen so much. They've seen, you know, some of the big downfalls and they've seen some of the big problems. So you can get ahead of it. You don't, you don't need to like, you know, reinvent the wheel entirely. So yeah, it's been awesome. Absolutely awesome. No, that's good. It's helping people see around corners, so to speak. That saying, you know, it's always a good. Yeah. Yeah, literally, literally. That's fantastic. So then thinking about, you know, leaning into the broader audience as well for talking health tech, Louise, if you could wave a magic wand or do the genie thing or whatever, whatever analogy you want to use in terms of what you need right now, like where are you heading on this path and how can we help you get to that next stage? Yeah, so I really need to talk to a bit of a unicorn, really, investors who actually understand how to build great artificial intelligence. So it's obviously not a short journey. There's a heck of a lot of research involved. So I'm looking for that human. If you know somebody like that even, you know, I'd love to, you know, if you could drop me a name and a bit of a contact because that would be great. They're very hard to find in Australia. Obviously, you've got the main sequence folks, but they don't do mental health. So I'm, I'm after like the health people if possible, if that could be more of a unicorn than possible. But that's the kind of human that would be absolutely ideal. I had this fascinating chat with a US artificial intelligence. Well, see, there's the interesting thing. How much, how much artificial intelligence expertise did this person have? Because even though George is mental health first aid, they couldn't recognize the stage of artificial intelligence that he is. So that's very basic. And I thought, oh gosh. <laughs> this is an interesting challenge i need to find someone very remarkable here yeah yeah that triple combination of understanding healthcare understanding artificial intelligence and willing yeah. to invest in the space as well or know those that do because back to that point that we're talking about before is that best investors to have on board are aligned with the vision not just the vision but the time frames and all the ethos around keeping patients at the forefront i've actually got some ideas but i'll tell you after this recording <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but look, Louise, final thoughts, other things that you're working on with George, you know, we've touched on a lot of like what the future might look like, but if you were to round out this conversation with the things that will be keeping you busy over the coming months. Oh yeah. So it's definitely all that integrations into the Western Australian healthcare system, right? So much we can do there, but we are also trying to generate that link to schools. 
So that school refusal piece is solvable. And we've already got quite a lot of work done with schools to generate a solution around that. But there's absolutely zero funding that we can find at the moment to actually roll that component out. And that's so sad considering how solvable that is. So that might sound too easy to people in the school sector, right, which I totally understand. But yeah, we've been working on this for a number of years. So it's not it's not as simple as we just came up with it overnight. And we had some great contributors to kind of develop it too. Now, that's something we're constantly spending our time on. We're constantly looking for collaborators to kind of solve that because Anybody who works in education will tell you the sales cycle for education is really, really slow. And um, we just don't have the capacity to kind of do that sales cycle. Yeah, so we're going to keep obsessing over that, keep obsessing over the translations. We've got a list of translations now. We've had phone calls from the US to translate him into Spanish. We've had phone calls from India and Nepal to translate him into Nepalese and also into Hindi. So we're obsessing over those as well. But we also want to translate him into every single Aboriginal language. George is actually now infinitely translatable. It's a bit trickier for the Aboriginal languages, but, you know, we're determined to kind of make him available to every kid that needs him. So obsessing over that. And obsessing over the connection to the Western Australian health system. So if there are any psychs in Western Australia listening to this and you're interested, reducing the amount of workload that you have, but increasing the amount of accuracy that you have in working with your families, and we'll also give them free access to George for <laughs> quite a long period, then, yeah, we'd love to talk to you as well. So <laughs> we're very busy for such a small team. Yeah. I mean, I love it on so many levels, Louise. You're doing great things in, a, in such an important area. And, you know, that drive and obsession to do good in this world would really resonate with many. So I'll put the details for George in the show notes of this episode for people to check out and to reach out to you directly as well, Louise, if they have any ideas or looking to collaborate. Appreciate you coming on the show and having a chat and can't wait to check in again on the show in another 12 months, let's say, and see how far we've come. Thank you so much. Thanks, Pete. Before you go, just a reminder to jump over to our YouTube channel and subscribe and watch some episodes there. There are podcast episodes, summit sessions, and a bunch of other interesting content on our channel. You can just search Talking Health Tech in the YouTube app or click on the link in the show notes of your podcast player and it should just take you straight there. Thank you. For more content and community about technology and healthcare, visit talkinghealthtech.com.